This is Steve Smith at the California Western School of Law, and I call the Law Review to order. Today, the Law of Bicycles. We welcome our guest, Brian Kohut, Deputy City Attorney in San Diego and an expert on transportation law. Brian, welcome. And Richard Duquette, an attorney in Oceanside who is an expert on law related to bicycles. He is an avid biker and has considerable experience representing biking organizations and bikers. Welcome, Richard. Thanks to both of you for joining us on The Law Review. So recently I was doing some errands on a Saturday morning and on the way to do the errands, I saw a bicyclist miss a stop sign, almost hit a pedestrian and I did my errands. And on the way back, ironically, I saw what I think was the same bicyclist with a police car there. He'd apparently been hit by a a car himself. So that's like two sides of the same issue. And we want to start by saying, what are the legal obligations of drivers toward cyclists? Um, a, a driver of a motor vehicle or any vehicle in the state of California, uh, whether that be a car or a bicycle, has the same obligations on each other that we all know. A, a, motor ve- a, a bicycle has the same rights and responsibilities to the roadway that someone operating a motor vehicle does. Okay. and is subject to the same well, laws. Well, so, so taking the, the responsibilities of the drivers to this cyclist. I mean, I didn't see this, but I'm guessing what happened is he tried to get around the bicyclist and cut it too close. Very, uh, that's, that's very likely. I mean, you, in your example, you, you saw a bicycle run a stop sign. That was an unlawful activity under the California Vehicle Code. And so that, uh, uh, that wrong probably created a wrong further down the road. And, and, well, but the two wrongs in this case definitely don't cancel each other <laughs> yes. out, I suppose. Two wrongs but, make a wrong. Right, right. <laughs> but so how far back or if you if a, if you're driving a car, you come on a, a cyclist, what are your obligations? Um, I, I'd say your obligation is to act reasonably as a motor vehicle driver uh, encountering a, a, a different type of conveyance or vehicle. So what does that mean? Um, I'd say if, if you're... You know, if you're behind a car, maybe you you could get a little closer, knowing that you know they're going to break, you're going to break. You have an expectation of how that vehicle is going to use the roadway. And if you see a bicycle, you know you everyone knows what a bicycle is, <laughs> and and how it works. I mean, you 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 know that it may need a little more space. You can't draft right up next to it. You're you're going to be held to that reasonable standard. So and and. Um, if you if you don't, I mean, you don't have to hit a bicycle. If you try to go by improperly, a bicycle is that a, a crime? Um, that's going to be a very fact sensitive question. It it very well could be. Um, if you're crossing over, I mean, anytime you cross over your line and touch somebody else, that's going to be your fault and potentially a crime. Richard, do you see uh, many instances in which bicyclists are injured by? careless drivers? Uh, yes, I do. I see them all the time. Um, there are a couple examples that are uh, really common, and one of the first examples is uh, car motorists opening their car doors without looking in advance. So what happens oh. is they're, they're called... So the bicyclist runs into the door rather than the door... 
Well, I mean, in a sense, I mean, you're, you're talking about the car being stationary. You know, normally bicyclists are, start with the first idea, uh, bicyclists are supposed to ride as far to the right as practical. And depending on the width of the lane, they oftentimes want to stay to the far right in order to stay out of traffic. Um, and in doing so, what happens is uh, oftentimes uh, motorists are inattentive and they open their car door and that violates the vehicle code. And either they open the car door into uh, the passing bicyclist or in front of the bicyclist and they call that being doored. So that's one example of how motorists very commonly injure bicyclists. The second one is oftentimes uh, motorists are inattentive and what they do is they make a right hook. In other words, they turn to the right in front of an oncoming bicyclist and um, as Ryan was mentioning, uh, in terms of the same rights and responsibilities, I would agree with them. There's vehicle code sections that, that cover that. Um, vehicle code 21200 uh, of the California Vehicle Code uh, deals with that issue. But um, the specific code sections are 22107 and 21658A, and those are the vehicle code sections that say you can't uh, make an unsafe turning movement and turn um, in front of or near another vehicle or bicyclist uh, when it's unsafe to do so. I was under the impression, mm -hmm. so that both of the, well, no, the, 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 the bicyclist would be mo moving in both of those, the car would be moving in, in one. Is, is side swiping of bicyclists common if car just brushes by too close? Um, I don't see that that much. I've been practicing personal injury law for 30 years uh, and representing exclusively bicyclists against the insurance industry. And um, I don't see sideswiping that often uh, unless it's a road rage situation. And I do see no. that a lot. And one of the ways that that's documented I see nowadays is with the cell phones and cameras. Uh, a lot of the bicyclists will take actually pictures of this happening because they'll have some advance notice. So I'll see uh, the after effect of that, you know, the, the bicyclist down because someone has passed and made an unsafe turn and then and hit somebody. But it's not that often that I see a side swipe. Brian, do you know uh, how common it is for prosecution of people causing harm or threatening to cause harm for bicyclists? Is that common? Um, I don't think it's that common. Um, I, I don't think you have that many instances where, you know, vehicles collide except maybe in a road rage situation like Richard was describing where it rises to the level of a criminal offense usually that's you know a negligent kind of situation and handled civilly what should a biker do as a practical matter if he's if there is road rage or otherwise uh, a car driver is doing something that's obnoxious or dangerous don't escalate the problem and um, photograph the license plate and turn it over to law enforcement. And if you're assaulted, that's uh, Penal Code Section 245, assault the deadly weapon. And if in I, fact- The car is the deadly weapon. Right, and the motorist can lose their license, their driver's license for life if convicted of assault with a deadly weapon. And that, that would happen? be a car. Yes, it does. Life? It happens a lot. Happens a lot. So that's a D, I mean, that's a felony. That's a felony. Happens a lot. It happened a lot. For example, in, in Los Angeles, there was a case on the web, if you look it up, um, in Mandeville Canyon, M-A-N-D-E-V-I-L-L-E -L -L -E, Canyon, a doctor had had a history of doing this. And in fact, he took out a whole line of bicyclists. And in fact, they had pictures of the bicyclist 
um, that were hit and you know they they were crushed into the windshield of the uh, the doctor's uh, windshield and the doctor went to prison after being convicted so it happens a lot when people are frustrated with bicyclists so don't escalate it is the first thing but then collect the evidence if you're if you're hit or if your friends are hit or suppose <laughs> nobody's hit she just let free, let it go essentially it's a practical uh, I, matter. I don't think you should let it go. I think you should photograph the license plate and I report see. it because people that do this um, a lot of times will repeat. And if there are listservs out there and the bicyclist will communicate, and if you can ID the car doing this repeatedly, um, evidence code 1101, a prior bad act, can be used to prove that somebody is, in fact, doing something that's not an accident, that it's intentional. Do you see those complaints coming through your office, Ryan? Um, not often. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't handle most of those, but uh, I, I, anecdotally, I've had heard that it has happened in the past, but I haven't seen a lot of that. Okay. Well, let's, let's go back to something you said at the very beginning, uh, Ryan, of the, the obligations of bicyclists in, in operating the, the bicycle. You said essentially all the rules of the road that apply to other vehicles apply to bicyclists. Mm -hmm. Um, for the most part, with an exception being uh, an operator of a bicycle is not required to possess a, a California driver's license. Right, right, right. But stopping at stop signs. Yes, absolutely correct. And Richard mentioned it. It's uh, 21200 in the vehicle code. That's for those of you following yeah. along in your codes. Um, yeah. So and turn legal turns, all of those kinds of things apply to bicyclists yielding to pedestrians? Absolutely. Uh, bicycle owes a duty to pedestrians just like the uh, driver of a motor vehicle. How about like one-way streets? Uh, yes, they, they are required to, to treat a one-way street as a one-way street. I, I know in practice you'll see you know somebody heading the wrong way and, and you know whether the enforcement is quite as stringent as it is for a motor vehicle that's that's a good question but well, the enforcement, let me, that, that's a good question about enforcement, but first, one other question. There have been just a couple of times where very large numbers of bicyclists are, are going down together. Uh, I, I don't know what, in one case, I saw a police car leading them and stopping mm -hmm. an intersection so that they were obviously, it was an organized event of some sort. But other times I've seen just large numbers of bikes all at the time only once but is that permissible um yes uh first of all the, the city occasionally does get requests for special event permits where and that's the first will, one that i saw the first yeah the first example is where you know a group will ask for a special event permit and they'll uh submit their route and seek permission and and the police department will support that they'll they'll uh escort the group and make sure the the group can do you know it's it's route safely but in the second example, uh, bicycles are free to travel the roadways just like any other form of conveyance. Um, if they are uh, an obstacle to traffic, they have to move to the furthest right that they can safely operate. Um, but beyond that, you know, they are, they're free to use the roadway just like anyone else. What you mentioned in the course of the discussion a few minutes ago that, that the violations may result in, for a, a cyclist, something different than it would be for a driver, in part because there's no driver's license. Are the fines the same? Um, sometimes. Um, 
you know, like the, the fine for a bike DUI is, is uh, not to exceed $250. Okay. So a and bike we, DUI? We, so if you're intoxicated and driving a bike, it's, that's a violation of the law? Uh, yes, it is. It's, it's uh, a violation of, uh, of uh, uh, Vehicle Code uh, 21200.5. So, other, but otherwise, the normal rules. I mean, your point you've mm -hmm. made a couple of times is very simple, which is the same rules apply for the most part if you're riding a bike as if you're driving a car. Well, that's easy enough. Even I can uh, keep track of it. Yeah. Richard, what kind of calls do you get from cyclists who want representation? Um, people that are doored and people that have been injured as a result of being doored, like I said. Um, and then also people that are um, right hooked. In other words, there's a car that turns in front of them. Um, and then uh, to that end, what we have a lot of is people that don't have enough uh, insurance coverage that, you know, that are the bad guys that actually hit the bicyclist. And so we're looking for um, a form of compensation for the victim or the bicyclist who I represent. So there, people call me looking to make sure they have access to adequate insurance coverage in order to pay for this over and above their health insurance that's out there uh, that a lot of people have through work. So that's what I normally get, that kind of thing. Brian, the same question to you. At the, at the uh, city attorney's office, what, what questions or comments do you hear from the public? What do they call you about? Um, we mostly hear about uh, uh, dangerous conditions that, that someone might encounter. Um, the way a roadway is striped, um, signalization issues, you know, what is the timing of a light, um, uh, inadequate shoulders on the side of a road, the pavement condition. I know one of the biggest issues here in San Diego is the condition of the, the you know, the pavement in the streets. And that's something we're, we're spending a lot of attention on these days. Because there's a legal question? Um, you know, the city does have a responsibility to maintain its infrastructure, and, and that's, that's something in, in these challenge budget times we've uh, we're trying to do our best so can I chime in for just a second sure um, and this is I hope this is a, a good opportunity to uh, seek Ryan's help here how does he suggest the public um, notify the city do you contact an engineer for the city do you email them do they have a method I'm seeing now that there may even be phone apps so this is kind of like developed. the pothole question? Potholes. <laughs> we see a lot of that, um, and it's very difficult to sue a public entity because there are a lot of immunities and limited and statutes. ideally, you wouldn't have to sue because they're repaired and so forth. So the question is, how do, if, you're a, a, a bike, if you're riding a bike, you notice a hazardous condition in the roadway, who do you call? Is that Yeah, Ryan, would, Ryan would know that, and that would, that's a, an area that a lot of people have a big interest in, and... I'd like to know how technology might be, be uh, being used in order to, to notify you guys in the city so that they can prioritize. Granted, there's not enough funds out there. You know, I understand that. But what do you suggest we do? Um, and that's a, that's a great question, Richard. Um, and I've done it myself, honestly. And, and, you know, the public, whether you're riding a bicycle or you're walking down the sidewalk or you're driving in your car, and you, if you see something out there in the public right-of-way that is dangerous, then by all means, note the location down, take a picture of it. Um, the city's uh, street division, you know, uh, will accept any of those comments and, you know, any pictures you have. And, you know, honestly, you know, it, 
you know, people question their government services, but they do a pretty good job. Um, if they receive a complaint, they're usually out there in, you know, five to ten business days at least to evaluate, you know, whether this is in fact a dangerous condition. And if it is, they'll be out there, they'll, they'll maybe it won't be a complete street resurfacing, but they'll patch that pothole or they'll they'll you know try to get out there and repair a sidewalk but can i ask you this and i don't mean to put you on the spot but let's say hypothetically that the city is overloaded and they don't get out there and there's a tree root that uh, makes the surf the asphalt surface uneven or there's a pothole um, and i've wondered about this myself would you or do you think it might be considered vandalism to use a, a can of spray paint to notify other people of that condition and just spray paint something around there like a circle or would you not recommend doing something like that because at some point you know the city can only be stretched so far and at some point other bicyclists want to take some kind of actions so nobody gets hurt because when you go down on a bike it's usually pretty bad so how do you suggest we handle that is that considered do you think that might be considered vandalism or not really because there's no malice intended what are your thoughts on that well obviously you're not describing a situation where any malice is intended um i i wouldn't advise people to go you know willy-nilly through the city circling things with spray paint uh we, we would probably get upset about that but i i do understand the concern that you're raising that you know people want to take it on themselves to to you know make the public's assets you know safer and nicer um my advice again would be to notify the city and and have us take care of it um are we gonna get out the crime lab and try to find out who circled that in spray paint probably not but i, I feel but more... i do understand yeah okay good i'm glad you you're not going to turn the crime lab loose on us. <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs> Today on Law Review, we are talking with Ryan Kohut, Deputy City Attorney in San Diego and an expert on transportation law, and Richard Duquette, an attorney in Oceanside who is an expert on the law related to bicycles. Let me ask you this. Where do the laws regarding bicycles come from? from the federal government, from the state government, from the city government? Um, there, there are some city restrictions on, you know, where, uh, where bicycles can be on the sidewalk or stuff like that, but for the, and bicycle registration. Uh, uh, technically, residents in the city of San Diego are supposed to register their bicycles, right. but the primary authority for how a bicycle operates within the city is uh, from the California Vehicle Code, and okay. that applies statewide. Because I looked at it, I mean, I took a look at it, it looked like the city had huge authority, but you're saying not so much. The, the city <laughs> derives its authority to regulate anything in the public right-of-way, uh, at least as far as transportation, from the California Vehicle Code. Right. The Vehicle Code prescribes those areas in which the city is authorized to But it looked like there was a lot, of, a, a lot of delegation. Is that not, um, not fair? I mean, there is, there is delegation, but I mean, the, the things like where you know where bicycle you know where bicycles can operate how what you know what kind of traffic control devices can be used um you know all, all of that is set statewide for all vehicles things like you know bike racks so the city has a program to install bike corrals on the sidewalks you know the, yeah, that, the state grants saw, us yeah, authority right, to saw, do that but you're saying those end up being a pretty small portion of the can, can I comment really quickly on something of public interest? Yeah, um, go ahead. Okay, so uh, 
So in the city, there's a rule that says, city of San Diego, you cannot actually ride a bicycle on the sidewalk, right? Um, there is, a, especially in a, uh, in a, what is it called, a, uh, a business, you know, downtown business zone is one of them. Uh, oh, there's right. probably a few others. I don't know. I, I think that's important because I do, you asked earlier, you asked about where people can ride and dovetailing into the regulations. The vehicle code is 21650 G like in great, which says under the vehicle code, you can ride on the sidewalk unless prohibited by a local code ordinance uh, or regulation. And that's probably what um, um, Ryan was just referring to. So there are cities that do not have that. And as a matter of fact, in LA, there was just a recent verdict for about $3.1 million uh, when a trucker made an, an improper right-hand turn and clipped a, an individual who was riding off the sidewalk just before they got into the intersection so and actually killed the, the young girl. So I think those are important regulations. And, and so uh, that varies from city to city, even right. within California. And of course, outside California, it depends very much on the state in which it is located. But, but Ryan, you were saying in San Diego, for example, in business areas, is it anyone of any age riding a bicycle is precluded? It's uh, it, the city of San Diego has taken advantage of the same vehicle code section Richard was referring to, to designate certain areas within the city as being unlawful for the operation of a bicycle on the sidewalk. So that's not a citywide thing. We've we've actually described certain areas, um, you know, off the top of my head, like your the downtown gas lamp area. Um, we don't permit bicycles to operate. Um, there's probably a few others. But. And, and Richard, you live in Oceanside, or your, your office is there, so mm -hmm. it may have different rules. It, every city is different, right. And one of the ways around that is, uh, depending on where the bicyclist is when hit, if the bicyclist is in the crosswalk, that may be a different situation, but there may be a comparative fault if they came off of a sidewalk. So. But yes, every city's different, and uh, but it's it's a misnomer that you cannot ride on the sidewalk. You can ride on the sidewalk legally unless the city prohibits it. And and in a bunch of cities, it sounds like, including big chunks of San Diego, it's prohibited. Oh, big chunks of San Diego, it is permitted. It's oh, permitted. only it, the the exception would be the certain areas that we've actually prohibited it, okay. and it's all in our municipal code. Richard, you've mentioned liability several times and the issues of insurance and. Uh, the possibility uh, of a tort of negligence uh, in uh, injuries to a bicyclist from an automobile or to a pedestrian from a bicycle. Uh, you've, you've also, as I say, you've mentioned insurance a couple of times. Would you give us just a brief sense of, of how much liability, is this a big issue of liability? And then you'd started to talk about insurance coverage in bicycles. So the issue is insurance, is that what you well, want? Well, the first to... thing is, do, do you see many cases involving liability, civil liability related to bicycle accidents? That's a great question. Um, the answer is yes. And particularly with the cost of gas nowadays and the focus on the environment and the congestion, a lot of people find it just as fast to ride a bicycle or to commute, uh, to ride onto a train. I see that happening on the coaster all the time. People are riding to the coasters. Um, we're now seeing in the cities, um, like you mentioned, uh, and Ryan mentioned, you have the bike corrals. Those are really big now, and uh, the bike coalitions and so forth are trying to promote, on a positive note, we're trying to promote business and improve our economy, 
So they're actually putting these bike corrals or uh, bike loops and mounting them. The cities are in the, the business districts, like in Car city of Carlsbad, for example, where I live in the village, we see that. And so that actually promotes business because people want a bicycle. They have a safe place to rack their bike. And the more bicycles there are, I suppose, the more potential for accidents and liability. Right. You said the homeowner's insurance typically covers? Auto insurance. I'm sorry, auto insurance covers. Your, your underinsured motorist provision in your auto, so long as you do not step down. So say you have 100, 300 coverage per incident or per occurrence. And this is for the bicyclist who's injured. For the bicyclist. So you're, you have a car policy and you have 100, 300 coverage. Right. So long as you don't step down and limit it to save a few nickels um, and it mirrors your liability, so your liability mirrors your underinsured motorist, your underinsured motorist will kick in and cover any deficient uh, insurance coverage that the bad guy has. Let me see if I, if I understand exactly. So uh, someone, a bicyclist is injured by a motorist who does not have adequate insurance to cover the damages for that. The, the bicyclist then could turn to his own insurance, underinsured motorist insurance that he would have for an automobile and have compensation or cover coverage mm -hmm. for the injuries he suffered. Was that, that essentially what you were that, talking you, about? You said it perfectly, but you also made me think deeper. Not only should you have good underinsured motorist coverage, you should have a strong underinsured motorist provision, like a 500,000 uh, provision. And if you do do that, most companies have the ability to buy what they call an umbrella policy. And if you then stack your liability underinsured motorist with an umbrella policy, what you have then is a situation where you have a deep, an ability for deep compensation, but make sure your umbrella policy actually covers the underinsured motorist situation. In fact, I would recommend a $2 million umbrella. It's only like 400 bucks a year. And that, that's for someone, uh, a bicyclist, who also has an automobile and has insurance coverage. Right, so you need the the, assumption is you have a good solid auto policy like i said 500,000 right. with underinsured motorist that matches your liability and then a 2 million umbrella on top of that so that'll kick in after the 500 is exhausted got it that'll help you let, now let me take the other side of this coin and the the pedestrian mm -hmm. who's injured by a bicyclist is the if the bicyclist has uh, automobile coverage would the pedestrian be able to turn to that insurance coverage um, it depends on the facts, but uh, that may not, the auto insurance may not kick in because the motorist is, the bicyclist is not driving not a, a motor, he's yeah. not driving a motor vehicle, and right. usually the auto policies limit coverage to people that are driving a, quote, motor vehicle. In other words, that's the situation. Would, However, a, home, would a homeowner's insurance cover that? That was exactly my next yeah. point. Their homeowner's insurance might actually cover that because that's just a form of negligence. So yes, and actually, we have a running group on Sunday, and I lead the running group. And um, one of the things I tell everybody every time before we go out is, uh, if you're running with iPod or earplugs in, you want to try to stay out of the bike lanes because uh, you might stray on the path of a bicyclist, and vice versa. Or on Fiesta Island, we see dogs running out periodically around Fiesta Island into the path of bicyclists. So your depending on where you are and what the limitation of coverage is, because there's exclusions there, uh, depending on where you are, you, you have a situation where 
um, your homeowner's policy may actually cover you if your dog gets loose and, and it runs out into a, a bicyclist or a variety of situations. Thank you. I want to change the subject a little uh, because for any of us who go to Padres games or any number of other places, it seems like the gas lamp has a lot of, I think are called pedicabs. Uh, and I know there were some disputes, not only in San Diego, but in some other cities about these uh, uh, pedicabs. Ryan, I, were you involved with looking at, at some of the issues, the legal issues regarding pedicabs? I was. Um, back in 2008, uh, the city of San Diego did have a pedicab ordinance, but at, at the time we had somewhere between six and 800 pedicabs operating at any given time in our gas lamp downtown business area. Um, the density and number of those pedicabs created obstacles to traffic. Um, the competitive pressure between the pedicab uh, operators trying to do business created a, a tension that led to uh, less than uh, ideal business practices and uh, consumer complaints. Um, and so, and then it, it was punctuated by a tragedy that occurred when a pedicab uh, 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 had an accident and a, uh, a tourist from Illinois was actually killed. And the city council responded? It did. Uh, the city council uh, responded and, uh, and, and requested that, this, that we develop a more comprehensive pedicab ordinance. Uh, that ordinance reduced the number of uh, pedicabs operating in certain restricted zones in the city, namely the gas lamp, uh, areas around the ballpark, Pacific Beach, La Jolla, and uh, Ocean Beach to uh, 250 uh, pedicabs, uh, the actual vehicles. Um, the city, when doing that, you know, established or uh, findings of fact that, you know, the density and number of those pedicabs were creating a public uh, safety and health hazard. And, and we limited the number and added various uh, other safety you know, requirements for uh, seat belts and other things that were felt that would enhance public safety. Are those working pretty well? Um, for the most part, yes. Uh, for the most part, uh, we, we haven't had as many uh, consumer complaints. With a reduced number of vehicles, you know, there's more fares to go around. And so, you know, the, the pedicabs that are in, in operation are, are doing much better. Um, with a lot fewer of them, we have fewer traffic and, uh, and you know, obstacle to traffic problems, especially, you know, 4th, 5th Street on the weekends. You know, there's a lot of cars moving in and out. So that, that's been helpful. And finally, I wanted to talk about, uh, this has been kind of a downer in some ways of talking about all these accidents and whatnot, but talk about maybe a more optimistic thing, because while the law has has focused on using the same space for pedestrians, cars, and bikes uh, often. And we've been talking about the problems where, where, where that doesn't sort itself out quite right. But the movement in the last few years has been toward bike paths, which is to separate bikes in some ways from, um, from automobiles. And I know both of you have been involved in an effort to expand uh, bike paths. So maybe we, each of you could say a word about uh, what I think is an optimistic development. Um, one, if I could, um, there's several optimistic developments, particularly in the North County, up in the Lucadia-Encinitas corridor. There's narrow roads, and so what they're doing is 
they're stenciling with spray paint on the roads um, what they call sharrows or images of bicycles. So those are to warn uh, motorists that they're to share the road with the bicyclists and give them some advance warning in conjunction with the signs that are being posted. And um, the bicyclists may take the lane, uh, bicyclists may use the lane, that kind of a thing. Uh, there's also uh, roundabouts, like in Europe, uh, there are little circular roundabouts that are being, I understand, developed or in the works. Uh, in, other, in other words, they're trying to quiet traffic so that uh, people don't get hit or sideswiped or uh, there's lack of attention. So sharrows, uh, signs that say share the lane, um, bicyclists have the right to use the lane, these type of things. This is an example. I'm going to show it to you. Um, I printed this off before we got here even though our viewers can't see it, but this is an example. It's an image of a bicycle and it says may use full lane uh, or may use full lane, share the lane. So these are just traffic signals. I think these are a, a big development because uh, several people have been killed or hurt in that area because the lanes are so narrow. I think um, the other thing that I'm seeing is uh, there's more local groups per city that are forming with the bicyclists and they're working together with, on a positive note, with the engineering and their uh, traffic and engineering departments to work to, to come together so that they, uh, they can develop compatible um, highway structures and, and signage so that we have less people hurt. So those are some positive things. I think sharrows with the economy are a big deal. I think they're, it's inexpensive and I think it's helpful. And uh, so I think that's positive. Great. Um, Steve, like you said, I mean, we, we talked about all the problems that have occurred when you mix cars and bicycles and motorcycles and, you know, RVs and people towing boats. And, 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 and really what's remarkable is how well it actually does work. That's true. Um, that's true. You have all of these different vehicles sharing the same piece of real estate and, and, and doing different things. And it really does go well most of the time. Um, but uh, we have been doing a lot of things lately, this, both the City of San Diego and, and other agencies like the San Diego Association of Governments and the other member uh, organizations in trying to coordinate and create and enhance bicycle facilities. Um, the best that's being done is the actual creation of class one separated grade uh, bicycle and pedestrian paths. Um, in that case, you're actually taking the bicycles and removing them from interaction with, with motor vehicles. Um, it's, it's always safer. It's obviously more expensive, but it's a, it's a really, really, you know, positive, great way for bicycles to, to you know, to travel. Um, and then what we, you obviously can't do that everywhere. What we've been trying to do is establish a region-wide, you know, bicycle plan where, you know, you have your class one bike paths that kind of stretch from, you know, around the region. And then you, you fill in around that with class two facilities that, you know, provide a, a, at least a painted bicycle lane within existing roadways that gives bicycles a place, a, a designated place to operate. Um, and then the, the third uh, uh, best alternative is to at least 
create uh, roadway sections. Like Richard said, some roads are just very narrow. If we can build them with, with enough room that motor vehicles can operate and still there's enough you know, wiggle room for a smaller vehicle like a bicycle to operate, you know, that, that's certainly better than the status quo in many places. One other thing, um, to follow up with what Brian was saying, removing the bicyclists from the road is one of the safest ways to go. Yeah. I think there's a development in a movement right now to build a bike pass along the coaster route so that a lot of people can actually ride along the coaster route. Uh, in fact, I know there's there's such a thing in several bike-friendly cities. Presumably the coaster wouldn't swerve like cars. Right, and I believe you're referring to the Coastal Rail Trail program. Right. Yeah. And uh, I know That's a great idea. O Oceanside has, is a bike-friendly city, and I think Carlsbad also has a, uh, a bike route, like Ryan was mentioning, and that's in the works, and I think that that's going to help out a lot. And, and I believe the, the eventual intent is to create a bicycle path that follows the, the, the coast from the North County up in Oceanside all the way down to the Mexican border. That would be terrific, not only for people who live here, but as a tourist attraction. I oh, absolutely. Think. I think it's going to be a very positive thing for the region. Um, many segments are already in place, and then, you know, it's it'll just take time for the different segments to kind of go in and then be linked up, and you'll eventually see it. It's going to be fantastic. Well, on that optimistic note, I want to thank you both. Our guests on Law Review today have been Ryan Kohut, Deputy City Attorney in San Diego, and Richard Duquette, an attorney in private practice in Oceanside. Ryan, how can people contact you? Uh, you can contact me at uh, my email address at the city at R-K-O-H-U-T at San Diego, S-A-N-D-I-E-G-O dot gov. Thank you. And Richard, how can people contact uh, you? They can contact me three different ways. www.911law.com is my website. Um, and that's up and running and has been for many years. I also have just formed a PAC, a political action committee, and it's uh, called California Consumers with a number 4forjustice.org, and that'll be up and running uh, December 1st. And then there's also my phone number, uh, 1-760-730-0500. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Richard, for being with us. Thanks also to our producers, Hank Crook, Grace Garner, Ben Pesner, Warren Brady, and Katrina Julian. Thank you. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast by visiting podbean.com. If you have a topic you would like us to consider on Law Review, you may leave us a message on the Podbean site. Thanks to all of you for sending comments. Uh, we appreciate hearing from you. Until next time, this is Steve Smith, and the Law Review stands adjourned.